hundreds of thousands hold their breath on Merseyside. It's Xabi Alonso for three, three is saved, and Alonso follows it in! It's wonderful! It's marvellous! It's three, three in the European Cup final! And welcome along to the uh, Red Agenda, your number one podcast for Liverpool every week on The Athletic. So much to look at today. Um, Unstoppable Liverpool, that's even according to Pep Guardiola, who seems to have conceded things now. Uh, Beating sides in a variety of ways, showcasing themselves against Southampton at the weekend. The continued excellence of Jordan Henderson and various other players like Roberto Firmino. Uh, Gini Wijnaldum's contract. Look, we've got loads we can talk about over the next 45 minutes. Your questions as well. Well, this podcast is sponsored by Bet365 and Bet365 features over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you'll ever need to bet on sport. The Bet365 app lets you access pre-match and in-play markets and provides instant match updates. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company and the app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store over 18s only and please gamble responsibly. Okay, this is the uh, Red Agenda. I'm in the company of uh, Simon Hughes and James Pearce, our number one writers. And um, let's talk about Liverpool and the league, the unstoppable Reds. That's how Pep Guardiola has phrased them, at least. No no surprise, Simon. I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite surprised he said it um, publicly, but it is a reality. I think Liverpool so far ahead now. I mean, even the most sort of cautious supporter would... would Publicly, I guess, concede or admit, I suppose concede's the wrong word, but admit that it looks like it's it's there now. It was quite interesting watching the Man City performance yesterday because I, I, I know they, had, they were one man down when they conceded the first goal, but there have been examples in the past when City have sort of roared back into games like this and when they fall behind at the moment, it feels like it just... <laughs> It feel it feels like watching them. They know it's just going further and further and further away. And there's almost like they, they, they gave up a little bit yesterday. I thought, you know, from, from his point of view, they've got the Champions League to consider. But you know, Liverpool, twenty-two. I still can't comprehend what's happening. Really, <laughs> I mean, I, I spent most of my life wondering what a Liverpool title victory looks like, and I never for one minute thought, after thirty years of, of waiting, that it would look like this. You know, at the end of well, the, the start of February. Liverpool being so far ahead. Um, Particularly given the fine margins of last season and how we all started this season expecting this head-to-head, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, the start, Liverpool started the season so well, it really did send out a message that they weren't going to go away. Uh, You know, in the past, Liverpool have had great seasons and and started the following season just a bit slowly and then it's just fizzled out. But first month of the season said to me Liverpool aren't going away and that must have been a bit demoralising I think from, from a Manchester City perspective because obviously they were so close last season I mean people are talking about when are Liverpool going to win it is it going to be Crystal Palace which Good- Goodison Goodison which I, I've always thought it just feels like something something sort of written in the stars there so particularly <laughs> the way Everton last season you know fair arguments I guess you know could say that they did stop Liverpool from winning the title Sorry, I've not looked at the maths as much as you. Is City still a possibility? We we're six well, it, six games to the title now, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, six six wins. So so if if City and Liverpool keep winning, then it'll be home to Crystal Palace essentially. Mm. When when Liverpool can seal it, but obviously if if City stumble again between now and then, then then that raises the possibility of winning at Goodison, which you know, and that that also would absolutely shatter the earliest that a Premier League title has ever been won. 
you know, I think you think United in two thousand and one did it. I think it was something like early-ish April, but like nothing, hmm. nothing, <laughs> nothing to, of this extent. Nothing to to this extent. And as Simon said, I think you can see it in City's performances. I just think, I think they almost look a bit shell shocked to the situation they they find themselves in because they're just not used to being in this position. Are they even they rewind to a year ago, and obviously. You know, Liverpool made City perform at this unbelievably high level because they were on their coattails, you know, and and they were almost like spurred each other on this time around because Liverpool have like disappeared over the horizon. Uh, you know, I I think there is a you know a little bit of you know you, the the demoralization in you know in Guardiola's words and cause, you know it's embarrassing, isn't it? And then you hear Guardiola talking after the game yesterday about you know two years ago Richard Scudamore said. Um, you know, it's not good for the competition when someone runs away with it. Um, you know, he said, you know, I'm waiting for for someone at the Premier League to come out and say that, you know, is, is it not good for the competition? The fact that Liverpool are, are I so, couldn't understand so why he brought this up. I mean, this he, idea of he's, they yeah, were I mean, I think he was asked ago. about it, wasn't he? I don't think I don't think he actually, yeah, he was he was responding to a right. a question he got asked and. Um, you know, two things on that. One is, I haven't got a problem with if, if you're the Premier League, if you if all you care about is the product rather than a particular club, then of course you want it to go to the end. You want you want a, a finish like we had last season, or a finish when Aguero wins the title in the last few seconds, because that's you know the the best possible thing. But the the, the other side of it is, you know, it's it's not Liverpool's problem, is it? The 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 other teams have had issues this season, and Liverpool have just shattered every record going and also the thing with City is you know they've spent an absolutely obscene amount of money it's actually embarrassing for them that they now find themselves cut so far adrift because you know when you look at the outlay and the net spend and all the rest of it you know it's it's outrageous that a manager of Guardiola's stature with the money that's been you know thrown around at the Etihad that they can find themselves 22 points adrift. What he said there as well sort of contradicts these, you know, tin hat, uh, flat earth society views that the Premier League <laughs> somehow want Liverpool to win the league and it's a big conspiracy <laughs> because surely that the point that Guardiola is making yesterday, it does devalue the Premier League, doesn't it? You know, the, the story of the Premier League is going to end probably in March this season, you know, in terms of the, the title race. So it contradicts that idea. You know, the Premier it's in the Premier League's interest, in yeah. theory, for this to go on and on and on. And if that if that's the case, you know, we're going to expect loads of decisions going against Liverpool the next couple of weeks, for, you know, for, for the for the competition to, to continue. What James says there, I, I, I think, you know, about like sort of the last five years really and, it just gets lost in, in the conversation. And I think it is the most important argument. I mean, Liverpool, people say Liverpool spent to get to where they want to be, but they've only been able to spend because they traded well in that period of time. You know, it's not like they've, they've spent money that they, they don't, in theory, have. They've obviously sold the best player in the team for a, a, a record fee and recruited well as a, subs, as a consequence. In the same season, despite not having that player, they've managed to get to the Champions League final. I don't want to say against the odds because Liverpool really, sh- as a club, should be somewhere in the in, in the conversation and that competition. I think what goes against Liverpool is the history and the, the size of the fan base. People can say, well, this is where they should be, but the reality is they haven't spent their way to this position. They've obviously used the weight of the history to attract a calibre of player that other clubs might not be able to in that position. But nevertheless, they it's based on a real financial reality. You look at Man City, who I think back to the summer t- 2015, you know, they, they obviously how far Liverpool were behind at that point, Man City, you know, just before Jurgen Klopp comes in. 
signing Raheem Sterling, Liverpool's best player, for the massive fee. You know, Liverpool didn't reinvest that money well that summer. And then two summers later, Man City have signed nearly 100, I think 130, 40 million pounds worth of talent in fullbacks. None of which, are, well, Kyle Walker is the only one who's, who's, who's sort of playing regularly now. In that same summer, Liverpool have spent 8 million on Andy Robertson and solved their prob- outstanding problem in the fullback position in a position where City have spent 20, you know, 15 times that amount on, on players. So, I mean, I, I've always been, I've got to be honest, I, I, I did criticise Michael Edwards in those early years when it wasn't working really, the transfer, you know, the, the relationship between the manager and him and, you know, who they were signing and this, that and the other. But you've got to give credit now. You, you've got to give credit where credit's due. He, he's done an incredible job in getting the maximum value for players and then reinvested that money wisely with Klopp helping him, obviously. You know, without Virgil van Dijk or Liverpool, where they are, they're probably not. But they've only been able to sign Virgil van Dijk. For, well, they probably would have signed Virgil van Dijk for anyway, I, I would think, even if Coutinho wouldn't have been sold because of what the transfers that they made before that. Mm. But then you've got Alisson Becker coming. He doesn't come yeah. for that value, that price, yeah. if they if they don't achieve what they did in the Champions League in that season and sell Coutinho. So all these signings have contributed towards, towards, towards where Liverpool are. They haven't just spent the way to the title. They've... They've traded their way to the title, which is different. But people just see the figures, don't they? And they don't think about that. It's almost like it's forgotten that Coutinho cost that amount of money because he's done nothing since he's left well, Liverpool. Without labouring on Manchester City and Pep Guardiola, when you see him talk now, he looks hurt by, by the whole environment. He almost looks a little bit lost and, and yeah. upset that he's that he's not been able to achieve what's expected of him, having spent so much. <laughs> so he probably does look at Liverpool and think, how on earth have they managed to create this when I've been essentially handed the crown jewels, yeah. but they've somehow navigated around me and above me. It's completely uncharted territory for him, isn't it? When you look at where he's been as a manager, he's used to having, having things his own way, um, you know, amazing success wherever he's been previously. And you rewind, you know, even 18 months, two years, and all the talk then was that we were in this era of, like, total Man City dominance. And how mm. was anyone even supposed to lay a glove on City? Because... You know they were they they were that far ahead of everyone else. Plus they had greater, much greater resources than anyone else. It was just like, how, you know, how on earth do you do you compete? You know, Klopp had got Liverpool back into the top four, but what would be twenty five points behind City? I think. Mm. You know when they when they won the title two years ago, so to go from that to them pushing them so close, and then even last season you kind of think, oh that's a body blow. That you know you when you look in the Premier League era when Liverpool have just missed out, it's actually they've then on all the other occasions they've actually regressed quite alarmingly for for different factors losing key players one of them i.e. Suarez in 2013-14 but also just that mental side of of going so close missing out and then having to having to go again but you know the the resilience of this team is just extraordinary and i think you know as simon said i think it does make me laugh this idea that you know some kind of conspiracy that people want and VAR and all the rest of it and even like you know, this this into a phone and yes, they go like about you know penalties. Even I think like I then someone then sent me like the list of you know Man City have actually had more penalties awarded than Liverpool this season. So it's all all of that is laughable because I think for a lot of fans of other clubs, it's actually quite unpalatable to accept that that Liverpool have got to where they have with an extraordinary number of good decisions and very you know shrewd people uh, and a huge amount of expertise. 
scored the winner two years ago. He's up against Jude. Will he hand Liverpool the European Cup? Yes! Yes! European champions! Jose Dudek with a penalty save. Do you feel they've been beating teams in different ways though the, yeah. this season? If you look back to, to last season and the football they were playing, look how they've had to engineer their path in this campaign. Have you seen a Liverpool side that's been entirely adaptable? Uh, we, we might say that about Saturday's win over Southampton in the way they dealt with what was a very tough, tough opposition in, in the first half. Is, it, is there a yeah. different element to Liverpool we've got now? Yeah, yeah. I think that comes with you know the maturity, playing together for, for so long. Um, and just that, just the sheer belief in what they do and the way they go about things. You know, even when games aren't particularly going their way, when they're not particularly playing anywhere near the level that we know they can play at, there's never any hint of panic, is there? They just, they, they just almost have that feeling that you know they're so used to winning that they will find a way. And you're right, they, you know, they have that one games in so many different ways this this season. Is you this know, what sets them apart from other? Premier League oh, sides yeah. and I think maybe we can incorporate this idea of are they the best Premier League side we've ever seen is this what puts them in a different realm do you think yeah I, th- I think so I think so yeah because you know when you think this season you know, you, you know Leicester away on Boxing Day that people were talking about you know arguably one of the toughest games Liverpool had left went there you know and you think wow that's probably as complete an away performance in the Premier League as I've ever seen um, and then there's been you know games since then where you know not particularly pretty you know you think of um, you know Wolves you know and, and you know there's there's been a, you know Sheffield United probably as as well but the win at the, Villa yeah, just the, done in a different yeah, way grind, just... grinding it out you know and you know again the attention to detail that we've talked about previously in terms of even when they're not playing anywhere near their fluent best you know how dangerous they are from set pieces the way they mm. work the ball from from throw-ins, all that, all those little things that goes on behind the scenes, those you know that those those marginal gains that that come to the fore. And the game against Southampton was a good example of that. Where first half, I thought Southampton caused Liverpool as many problems as anyone has done at Anfield all season. And you could see that Southampton, you know, they, they looked like a team with a lot of confidence, who knew exactly what you know they they were set up well, well drilled, limited Liverpool to very few chances. Um, and you thought. God, you know, you know, Liverpool are going to have to really go some to to win this game today, but then they come out second half and just you know the transformation was absolutely extraordinary. And in, you know, in the in the end, you know, you actually felt a bit for Southampton because you thought you know, they put a lot into that game for probably 55, 60 minutes, and yet they they walk away scratching their heads, going, "We've been absolutely battered here." <laughs> mm. It's I, I agree with Jay. I, I always I've spoken about the. Villa game on this podcast a few times but I do think that could be a defining game in Liverpool's modern history the way they won that game you know it's it was the first time really they've they've gone the distance if you like and, and scored two ridiculously late goals you know that 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 game for me I was speaking to a few people about this the weekend that's like the Steve Bruce game for Man United when they scored against Sheffield Wednesday although it's much earlier in the season so People might not be able to realise or appreciate the the importance or the context around it. When you score late goals, honestly, players speak also. It just gives players that extra belief. And I think now we've seen that. Like last, the Southampton game, I thought Southampton, just without repeating what James said, played very, very well. And, and it was a really competitive game. It shows you, you know, teams can trouble Liverpool, but I just think Liverpool have got that inner belief at the moment that I, I actually worried for Southampton at half time. I thought, They've had these chances, they haven't scored. 
you know, that can only Particularly with how Liverpool come out in second yeah. halves. And they, they blew them away the second yeah. half. And, uh, you know, the, 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 two, the two forwards, particularly in Firmino and Salah, it's, it's insane that Liverpool are 22 points ahead. And they haven't, I don't want to say they haven't played a role, but they haven't been the outstanding feature of this team this season. Have they, you know, they, they've, it's been a, a purely team effort to get the point to the point where they are. Now, I was having a conversation with a few friends the other day about how, you know, people are saying, you, you asked the question before about whether it is the greatest team to win the Premier League. And, you know, I suppose you've got to analyse, you know, the the competitive nature of the Premier League and this, that and the other. And a few people are saying, oh, well, it's it's a poor league this year and blah, blah, blah. blah. And there is, there is, you know, I think a lot of the, the sort of the teams that you'd expect to be competing against Liverpool I've missed the boat a little bit. You know, Man City, you know, didn't strengthen in the areas I think they needed to strengthen in the summer. Um, you know, other clubs like Tottenham, you know, sort of have fallen away. I haven't even had their mm. problems. You'd expect them to be having a go. And, and obviously Chelsea in transition, I get all that. But I do think that the teams at the bottom have improved this season as well, which have contributed towards those teams dropping points. So, you know, Norwich really... You know, you wouldn't place them at the bottom of the league normally by the performances that they've given against some teams. You know, they're a much better team than most teams that finish bottom. In fact, the bottom three is actually, I think, quite a strong bottom three this season. You know, it's going to be difficult to tell, I think, up until the last weeks of the season, who gets relegated because there's a lot of that, that, that gap's closed up quite a bit, I think, between the bottom and the middle ranking teams, which is in turn made it more difficult for Liverpool at times during the season. You know, I think they haven't had any real gimmies throughout the course of the season. They haven't totally blown teams away. I think Liverpool have just been relentless in, in, in winning. You know, they, they've obviously had a few big wins, Liverpool, but they've had to be made to work hard in a lot of those games. You know, they're at the bottom So the, of the idea league. of it being a poor league... It's, I, I, it doesn't, is, add, doesn't, doesn't add up that for me. I, I just think there's teams at the top who you'd expect to be better, but there's teams at the bottom who are better than you'd expect. Hmm. So... You know that 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 people don't consider that because they're just watching, they're just looking at the points, thinking, "Oh my God!" You know how have Liverpool done this? But I, I just is, think, not, is it not a convenient put me down? It is. Yeah, it comes back to what I talked earlier on, doesn't it? Yeah, the fact that for, this hurts obviously a lot of rival fans, doesn't it? Because I think I think especially for fans of club, of other big clubs who have had a, a you know a barren spell of their own, you know, see, seeing Liverpool go through a barren spell was almost like you know a bit of a comfort blanket to cling to that. You know, well, you know, at least we haven't gone as long as as they have without without winning it, and then now to see Liverpool do this, yeah, you, you know, you're looking for, <laughs> they're desperately looking for reasons to denigrate the achievement. It's not, it's not a poor league, you know. You think how many how many points did Leicester with win the Premier League with? Yeah. It was was it late seventies? Yeah, and you know, and you were talking about we're talking about City being nowhere near the level. You know, City will still end up getting what probably eighty five points, maybe eighty six, eighty seven points, which and that still wins the league, doesn't it? In a lot of Premier League seasons, it's just it's just been skewed by the you know the ridiculous consist consistency of this as Liverpool. I mean, a hundred points out of the last hundred and two on offer. You know, that's you know that that is just outrageous. Never been done across any any of the five major European leagues. You know, now mm. equaled. Was it forty-two league games unbeaten, equaling Forests from the late seventies? You know, was seven now behind the, the Arsenal two thousand and three four the all-time record? So yeah, it's you know. The, so take it back to that original question then: greatest team that the Premier League's seen? I think or so. not? I think so. If you if you try and compare with See, the, funny, the Arsenal it? team yeah. or the Manchester United team that, that Fergie had, it, it, is it almost impossible to make those? Well. 
you know, I, I always think the best team that I've ever seen play at Anfield would be that Arsenal team, you know, that, that over a two-year period, to say not just the season they went unbeaten the whole season, they, they were a f- phenomenal team, you know, would test you physically in terms of skill, organisation, you know, really imposing team. But then you, you would argue, I mean, which Man United team would you say is the best? I think United's greatest success was was their endurance of the team and, and constantly being able to not change the identity of the team, but the, the team did change quite a lot over. Yeah, it, changed, evolved it, changed, and, it evolved yeah. all the time. I, I wouldn't be able to pinpoint the best United team. People will say, you know, 99 when they did the treble. But I would say this Liverpool team is a more exciting team mm. to watch than that team. I would say they're more exciting to watch. Now, you could compare... I think there is a comparison to be made with the Arsenal team because of, you know, people talk about the flair of the French players that they they brought, uh, that Wenger brought to Arsenal. But I think what separated them and made the difference was the combination between both the flair and the physicality and the power. And it was when Wenger lost that power in that team that they gradually fell away, you know. And I think... Liverpool have brought that back a little bit. The power of this Liverpool team, they're so physically imposing. You'd be, hate to play against them, wouldn't you? I mean, they've got the players up at the top of the pitch who can really, really hurt you. But behind that, you know, they work so hard. You know, Jordan Henderson, it's like a man possessed at the moment. It's like, I think maybe I said it last week, but his, level, his performance levels have moved up three or four rungs, I think. You know, his passing is more confidence. He's strutting across the pitch like, you know, I only saw videos of Graham Souness, but he is, it is similar, you know, he's like, I've never seen a player, a transformation in a player's confidence as much as that. And I think when you win the Champions League, that's that's what it does. But it's the best Liverpool team I've seen by a, a mile. I think it's difficult to be It's the most complete, definitive. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That, you know, if you look at all the areas of the pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where's the weakness? That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, you know, and, and, and going back to what we said, that, that ability to win in so many... So many different ways. I mean, I mean Jordan Henderson he kind of just epitomises that, doesn't he? In terms of everything that he offers to that team, you know, he's he's sparkled at times in this. You know, he's in an absolute season of his life in terms of the quality that he provides. But you know, but also you know, in 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 those ones that turned into real battles, you know, he's he's absolutely a heart of that, isn't he? Putting his foot in. That, what, that was, what was Klopp saying about him after the Southampton game? Something about he's not like a that doesn't look like a captain that's playing yeah. nineteen points ahead. What was the point he was trying I think he to was make? Making the, like you just see that that desire and hunger. There's, there's, and and you, to be fair, I think he said he's the perfect example running through this team that there is not anyone even remotely taking their foot off the gas and thinking, you know, this this is done. You know, he, he said, he said you look at Jordan Henderson's performance on Saturday, yeah. He said, was that the performance of a man who's strutting mm. around going, we're 19 points clear, we're about to go 22 clear? No. You know, he, he he was playing like his life absolutely depended on the outcome of that game. And that was that was the highlight of the day for me. Him, you know, I thought that was a nice touch by Klopp taking him off a few minutes before the end. And, you know, and that was a real spine-tingling ovation he got from, from a capacity Anfield crowd. And, it's special actually to hear you know to hear the cop chanting his name and you, know, you think of the journey he's been on for you know what is it not far away nine years since he joined the club and you know and how tough you know the tough times he's had along the way and almost like you know they're just that incessant cycle of having to try and prove people wrong and every time every, anything did go wrong with the team he would almost be a lightning rod for the the criticism that that was dished out um so it's brilliant to see him now getting the plaudits and you know I I hope, 
I think it should. You know, not only will he be lifting the Premier League trophy, but lifting the the PFA Player of the Year as well. Well, that's interesting. I mean, the, what accolades does he deserve? Is he sta- is he Liverpool's standout player, for example, from the course I mean, of it, the season? Yeah, I mean, he's been the most consistent player in terms of firstly his availability. You know, he's been there mm. pretty much every game. I mean, I, I think Genie Wijnaldum's had an <laughs> unbelievable season. People, f- you know, I, I've seen a lot of games to sort of pitch level this season, you know, where my seat's been because I haven't always been in the press box. I've been sort of in the stands as well. And I think when you get to that point and you see the pace of the game, you, you realise just how quick it is and just how an important role he plays, you know, particularly the barrier that he that he offers in front of the... De- I mean, I know he doesn't strictly play right in front of the defence, but his, his, def- his sense of defensive responsibilities and keeping the ball in real pressure situations when Liverpool are trying to launch counter-attacks. He's crucial in that. And it's a very subtle role and difficult to pin down, you know, in in, in the throws of a quick football match. But I think he's had a, his best season for Liverpool by a mile, Wijnaldum, but he, he, won't be in, he won't be in the running for it. You know, obviously, you know, um, Alisson Becker, I think, has been incredible for Liverpool. I think without him, I don't think Liverpool are in this position. I, I honestly think, I mean, this, this might be a bit of a wild shout, but I'd honestly say he's he's up there definitely with Schmeichel in terms of the best goalkeepers the Premier League have seen. I honestly think that the influence that he's had on the team, mm. the saves that he makes, he makes difficult saves actually look quite easy. Yeah. Like, you know, he's so relaxed. He's... Well, he was the reason it was nil-nil at half-time, to be honest. He was. You know, you, you could say Mo yeah. was man of the match. You could say it was Alisson yeah. for his 45 minutes. I totally. And that, that's what gets forgotten sometimes, isn't it? Because of sometimes Liverpool go and like do what he did in the second half. Gets a bit forgotten about how influential he is. To answer your question, for me, you know, Henderson has been the outstanding Liverpool player this season. I just think he's been on it every single game. You know, he sets the tempo for which the team plays in a lot of cases. He has done that for a long time, though, hasn't he? In the sense that I often thought that when he was getting his criticism, people didn't realise quite just how the speed at which he does things helps other players. It helps players act a bit quicker and do things um, quicker because he releases the ball quickly, he thinks quickly. It's difficult to, again, pin that down in the statistics sometimes, you know what I mean? How quickly does a player release mm. the ball? He's... He gets it, gives it quickly, and he's doing that again this season, but with more confidence. I think his passing range has has increased this season. I mean, that pass for Salah's goal in Southampton, it hasn't even been spoken about that much. But I think the difficult, how difficult it is to get a ball on which is bouncing, and you've got to weight it with the right speed and the curl and the accuracy. It was impossible. It was really difficult to do that, and you know Salah's finish was was incredible, but. For me, I, I still think Henderson. when you when you talk about Henderson, isn't it interesting how it always includes the words of the old criticism about him. So you, you mentioned yeah. then, it's it's almost like the story of Henderson makes what we're seeing even more remarkable. You can't just talk about Henderson this season. You you always go back to the this thing of he really has been in you know had a tough time to make it to this point. Yeah, and I think that's- his his story. Is probably different to a lot of it's other footballers. It's in keeping with Liverpool's story, I think, yeah. you know, in terms of he was obviously one of the first big. In fact, I think he was the first summer of FSG. He was the first big signing of that summer, wasn't he? Yeah. So he he does sort of illustrate the struggles and, and anguish of Liverpool over the last 10 years in many ways. And at times, I guess some of the criticism has been fair at times, but it's, it goes overboard, you know, like. 
Well, has it? There would have been people who'd have, who would have said, get rid of him a few years ago, James. Yeah, well, that first... I felt sorry for him watching him during his first season at, at Liverpool because he, you know, he was... You know, I remember I remember writing, you know, at, at times he looked like a rabbit caught in the headlights playing at Anfield because I think, you know, it, it, that, that move had come very early in his career. He, he came with a, you know, a big price tag. What was it? 16 million rising to 20, I think it was. And so there was a lot of pressure on his shoulders. And obviously that season... You know things things didn't go great under under Kenny, and so of course you know what happens. People look at well, where's the money gone? What you know what what return are we getting on that investment? It's not happening, and then obviously you know it's hard to believe now that the next manager wanted to swap him for Clint Dempsey. You know that's the you know so he has got this amazing backstory where you know and and Jordan's gone on record before talking about you know being told by Rogers you know you can go if you want you know Fulham the moves there on the table if you're if you're willing to accept it and and speaking to his dad crying his eyes out and you know I think it was before a Europa League game against Hearts that towards the back end of that window and it was you know had to he had to think about it and decided no you know I'm not giving up you know yeah it's been a real tough start for me at Liverpool but I want to stay and fight you know anywhere after go after here is going to be a step down and and, and, then, then, and then even the prolonged injury issues with yeah, the, the I mean, heel was, and people another, saying he'll never yeah. be back to I mean, his that's level another, again. That's another massive well, chapter with him as well because you know, he was. Some people forget just how good he was in 2013-14 when Liverpool nearly won the league. And you know, obviously, there's such a big focus when you think back to that season of Gerrard's slip. But just as important was Henderson's late red card against City, which meant he missed those those games that effectively cost Liverpool the title. I think if Henderson plays against what was it Chelsea again and against Palace and I don't think those those results happen because he was he was so key to that team at that point and then you're right he was he was written off you know you, you think about Ferguson in his book talking about his gait and uh, you know his running style and the insinuation that that was going to you know hold him back and you know the, I know he he went through absolute torture with his heel you know with um, I think it was called plantar fasciitis I think it was with mm. like the band isn't it on your heel and how much trouble that gave him and you know he had he had like a real horrendous couple of seasons and of course that injury as well coincided with Klopp coming in so I remember him, him saying he, he didn't feel like Liverpool's captain he, he, he'd had the huge honour of following in Gerrard's footsteps yet he couldn't he, he felt helpless he couldn't really contribute so to go from that to, to where he is now it is it is a great tale even I remember I'm sure that you remember James when when Klopp first came in. Obviously, Henderson was the captain. I remember somebody, um, I think it was ahead of the Tottenham game because there been some suggestions that summer 2015 the Tottenham were interested in signing him. And obviously, Tottenham was the first Liverpool game for Klopp. And I remember somebody asking him, sort of trying to get a feel for what Klopp thought of Henderson, and he offered no reassurances that that day. I remember thinking, mm, you know, is he going to be Liverpool's captain under Klopp? Is he going to? carry on I mean I think as he's tended to do you know coaches tend to like Jordan Henderson they, they see his his focus and his energy in training and particularly for somebody like Jürgen Klopp who values a player's efforts in training I think but then despite despite saying that I mean even last season when late on in the season Southampton you know it looked like he was getting nudged out the team a bit you know Fabinho coming in he goes to Klopp and says you know, look, I think I can play a different role to the one you've been playing me in the last couple of seasons. I, I, I wondered whether that number eight role, if you like, he, he'd, he'd move beyond that, you know, whether at this stage of his career he had it, the legs in him to go and 
influence the game higher up the pitch. But this season, you play him number eight, play him number six. You even played centre half. Plays well at centre half, didn't he? Really against Monterey, didn't look <laughs> yeah. that yeah. much out of place against. Let's have it right. People think, oh well, it's Monterey. They were a good side who cut, went into that game. Tons of confidence. Fellas scoring tons of goals and. I know they had a few chances, but he actually played quite well. I thought Henson, he's played right back last season, Leicester game where he's getting absolute dog's abuse for, for doing a job for the team. I don't think he actually had that bad a game. I mean, people were slaughtering him after that, but you know, because he wasn't Trent, I guess. But he's done everything that he possibly can to 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 make himself a winner. And I think that, you know, often careers are remembered by what people win. And I think it's fortunate for him that it looks like I'm not saying he's at the end of his Liverpool career, but he's coming towards that last stretch, I guess, the next three or four years, and he could end up winning the absolute low a lot. It the lot him, you know, and people that's what people remember him for. Ultimately, you know, he he could become the first Liverpool captain since Graham Souness to win the Europe uh, the the European Cup or the Champions League. And the and the league title. I mean, that's incredible. What, a, incredible. what an honour! Yeah. You mentioned the PFA Player of the Year. So, what are the Liverpool players will be in that shortlist? Sadio Mane. I think yeah. the last time I checked, I think Sadio Mane was actually the bookies' favourite to win it. I mean, he was. I'd say based on the first half of the season, mm. I'd probably have Mane down down for it. I don't, I don't think he's been at quite the same level, probably you know, kind of December time, and then since obviously now he's got mm. a, a slight hamstring problem. Um, Trent, I think Trent would have to be in the mix for how good he was in the first half of the season, but I just yeah, as Simon said before, I think has Virgil of, put a foot wrong this season? Well, yeah, and Virgil's a funny one because it's almost <laughs> because like, do people measure him it, on his levels yeah, from last season? Yeah, Is it? It's, it's almost like well, he, yeah, it's almost unfair. Well, he's that good. But it's like, well, of course, of course, yeah, you can't. You know, he's nine out of ten every single week, isn't he? And he's he's got to be it's in almost like, yeah. Well, I mean, he was perfection last season, so you, you then judge him by that, and it all becomes a bit unfair, doesn't it? Yeah, and you know, and, and to a certain degree, you know, Salah probably suffers in the same because mm. of his first season. It's like you know, the number of people who have said to me this season, oh, I don't know what's wrong with Salah. You know, what well, it was like, <laughs> because not an awful, yeah, not an awful lot wrong with him, I'd suggest. Yeah. But I mean, the, the other so. I, I think, I mean, I, I think the voting has changed a little bit. I think I think it now is a late a bit later on in the season than it used to be, because um, I'm, I'm sure last season it was kind of early April, certainly when I remember Van Dyke stopping and doing an interview and saying that he'd actually gone for I think he actually voted for Raheem Sterling, <laughs> like and then and it turned out that Raheem Sterling had uh, tactically, tactically voted for Harry Kane rather than <laughs> rather than Van Dyke, but uh, it didn't it didn't stop him from from winning it, but. Yeah, I, I think at the at the moment Henderson would be the the pick for me. And you know, the other thing is PFA Team of the Year. Is that just an entire Liverpool just eleven? The I mean, or would you well, find you leave out? would you find room for De Bruyne? Ooh, um, I think there is space for another midfielder, mainly because Fabinho's been injured for two months. Yeah. So for me, Henderson, for Wijnaldum, me, and De Bruyne, and De Bruyne. Yeah, yeah I, I would, would say yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. think that's a good shout for PFA Team of the Year, but it'll be. But, but the majority will ten, be Reds. Ten out what about 11. what about all right? What about the the other centre half? Because Liverpool centre half, Joe Gomez has been incredible since oh, Christmas. Yeah. Well, this partnership is the one, in. isn't it? Yeah, the, yeah, this is the one that stands yeah. out and one the one which I think all fans want as the long term. Yeah. Although when Matip was playing with, no, with Virgil I mean van Dijk, everyone was happy enough for the PFA Team of the Year. Yeah. Is the room for another centre half? No, I think I think Gomez has got he's got enough credit in the bank. He's 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 been brilliant for like. 
what two and a half months now and if yeah, he, he got like maybe. another as long as he stays fit for another three months yeah it's all he there's this determination to get as many Sheffield United players <laughs> in it as possible so I'm just trying to think right. is there somebody we can show on it well they're, they're all additional awards the one they care about is the title of course and just to go back to what we were talking about half an hour ago <laughs> does it matter when and where Do, I mean it is there anything of an anti-climax come the the very end of the season if you if you win it too early? No, <laughs> no, it doesn't no, matter. You no. still have two months of parting. It doesn't fit the script of what Aguero did with Manchester no. City and what the Premier League want. Does it really matter at all for Liverpool? From Liverpool, I I, I don't speak on behalf of all Liverpool fans. Of you course, you do so. What? I, 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 speak, I speak on behalf of Liverpool fans of my generation. Yeah. I think not on behalf. Sorry, no, I don't. I don't like to say that. But you just want it boxed off. I know. I, I I just think you know a lot of people. I've had this conversation with a few people saying, "Oh, it is a bit of an anti-climax." I was like, I would imagine that every single Liverpool supporter around. I mean, I, I'm 36 now. I cannot remember 1990. So I weirdly can remember parts of 1989, but I can't remember 1990. So mm. I would imagine that for most Liverpool fans, this is just the most incredible. I mean, for me, going to the game as a Liverpool supporter, the fact that I know that they're going to win it doesn't make it any less exciting. I can't wait for I can't wait for the next game. You know, knowing that you're going to be seeing this incredible football team, and ultimately the the next the next challenge I think once they have won it, if they've won it unbeaten. Um, will be to stay unbeaten. I, I think I know there'll be a lot of pressure from the media. That'll be the next story. I don't. I mean, I include myself in that. You know, obviously. But I, I think that you know that'll be the next thing. Oh, well, can they stay the season unbeaten? And the invincibles. It won't be enough just to win the title. Well, it's a bit years. like the Van Dyke comparison, isn't it? You're perfect one yeah. season. Can you possibly emulate emulate that, yeah. that sort of thing? Be, yeah, they're yeah. judged on that all of a sudden. Yeah, I, I, I think that you know the Liverpool fans of a certain age have waited so long for this that. They don't care really. Mm. I, I don't sense. I, th- I mean, I've spoken to a few of my mates, and they, I was saying, well, you know, what would you trade to win the title at Goodison, and then or or, or, or go unbeaten for the trade. whole season? What are you trading, you know, exactly, Simon? You know, there's some sort of like sort yeah. of witchcraft trading going I think, on. I think winning it at Goodison would be incredible. Yeah. I think, yeah, especially when you think having beaten them once this season without the front three, beating them with a youth team to then go and win win the title at Goodison. <laughs> As, as well I think yeah and then also because then that ensures that then did Liverpool get a guard of honour from Man City at the Etihad a, a couple of weeks after that that would be uh... so all, the, all these things are nice but surely winning it at home is is the is the ultimate thing is well, it not I, you... I would prefer to be at Anfield watching that come to fruition I, I... because for me the moments of the season most Salah's goal against Manchester United and, pretty, and the full-time sure whistle if they win I reckon if Anfield. Liverpool can win the title at Goodison, there'll be a lot of tickets available. <laughs> <laughs> or will there, or will, will there be a lot of Evertonians thinking we can be part of the party poopers? No, I, I've, bo- I, I've spoken to a couple of my mates who are season tickets on, on the Gladys Street and I've got a few lads lined He's up willing to sell it. it too. So, um, I know Liverpool fans have already bought tickets in the Gladys Street for that game. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Off Evertonians. Yeah, because there's a chance, of course, that Liverpool could win it not being there, not being involved. Yeah. City might lose again or drop points and then suddenly Liverpool like nobody will have ever thought of it being because everybody just assumes with Liverpool you know that there's always going to be that level of drama it might yeah, it might yeah. be the least dramatic but for me I've got to be honest yeah. it doesn't bother me it, no. it doesn't bother me how they win it it's I'm just with you I don't, I don't care when yeah. yeah it's just having waited that long yeah. it, it, and also I don't think yeah it's, it's 
going back to what we said before, it isn't great for the Premier League, is it? The fact mm. that you know how are Sky going to possibly sell the, the <laughs> you know the the dramatic battle for twelfth or whatever they'll be uh, mm. focusing on? But um, nah, for Liverpool, it's, it will just be like a a two and a half, three month long party and. And just to clarify, is, you don't get your trophy until that Chelsea game, regardless. Yeah, it's, that's what. The, yeah. yeah, I did check with the Premier League the other week, and they they said that yeah, protocol is regardless of when the title is won, it'll be the last home game against Chelsea, and then mm. um, anyway, and of course, getting it done nice and early does mean that Klopp will be able to prioritise the the Champions League. There's a, there's a desperate. You know what that that really needs to be emphasised. I think I may have said this last week, so I apologise if I repeat myself, but. There is an absolute desperation from within the club to to get both, you know. To the Premier League, I remember last season at the end of the season speaking to people high up at the club, and I was saying, you know, the Premier League's got to be the next priority. And I was actually corrected. He said, actually, we want to make sure that we do both. Yeah. So you know that anybody who thinks, oh well, the league they can just miss out the rest of the season, I don't think that's the case. I think they've got a great chance against Atletico Madrid, and I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they did reach another final, which to get to three finals in a row. Bearing in mind where they started off in that summer of 2007, having got back into the Champions League for the first time in in, mm. in a, a reasonably amount of time, I just don't think he can give Klopp and his staff and everybody at Liverpool enough credit for doing that. Lisa puts it back into the box, header on goal! Oh, he's got it! And the captain has delivered a blow to AC Milan. They may be three goals down, Liverpool, but Steven Gerrard has urged the thousands of Reds fans inside here to get to their feet. A headed goal from the captain. Right, um, there's a couple of great articles you've written this week. We can't go into great detail because time's catching up on us. Uh, you've written about Gini Wijnaldum yeah. and, um, and just keeping him at the, at the football club. Yeah, well, it's, it's quite a... So it's a fascinating dynamic going on between him and at the club at the moment because he's sort of obviously reaching an age where he's twenty, uh, he's thirty this year. I think he shares the same birthday as me, actually. So um, you know, he's trying to renegotiate a contract at a time where it's going to take him into mm. the next sort of stage of his career, if you like. But he's clearly a, a really significant player. Um, I think I think it'll get sorted out. To be honest, it's just a bit of brinksmanship going on between. Yeah. It always is. He's got an agent who works on his behalf, who's a bit of a tough negotiator, which is fine, you know. And Jürgen Klopp um, is happy with the situation. He, whenever he was at Dortmund, he was like, "Look, you go and speak to other clubs. You know, it's not a, it's not a problem." But I think he's got a, knows he's got a much stronger hand now. I mean, all the play, the players that have left Liverpool, have not gone on and done well mm. elsewhere. You, Emery Chan's gone back to Borussia Dortmund. Obviously, Coutinho. Everybody knows what's happened to him. So I think he knows ultimately. It's going to take a big call to leave Liverpool now. So I think he knows that, uh, you know, Liverpool is still, still despite, you know, always trying to get bang for their book, aren't they? You know, they're always trying to get the best deal. Um, so Liverpool in a really strong negotiating position at the moment. But I think, I mean, Wijnaldum is, is, is looking for a, a bit of extra money to reflect his, his, his increased status, subtle status. Give it to him, team. Simon. Yeah. He deserves it. He's yeah. been brilliant. Uh, you've been writing on the pitch at Anfield. Yep. Yeah, I think it was timely. With you know, it was Southampton obviously in town at the weekend, and it was Southampton, what probably two and a half years ago now, when uh, when Liverpool were held to a pretty dour goalless draw, and Klopp came out afterwards, and he got a fair amount of stick for his comments at the time, and got accused of coming out with lame excuses and saying that when he said that the, the pitch didn't do us any favors and was so dry and doesn't suit the way that we want to play our football. But I don't think it's any coincidence that you know since FSG that summer sanctioned a a multi-million pound investment in the infrastructure mm. and you know ripped out 
not just the pitch, but a complete new irrigation system, um, new underground heating, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds on these lighting rigs that help the grass to grow, whatever the conditions. And yeah, I think, you know, since since all of that work was done, and I think it's something ridiculous, like 51 home league games, 42 wins, nine draws. And and yeah, speaking to a few people behind the scenes about the, the, the work that's that's gone into transforming the surface and ensuring that where once it held Liverpool back now it's perfectly suited to you know their scintillating you know attacking yeah. quick brand of uh, of football that's, that's put them in this amazing position check out both those articles on on the athletic at the moment brilliant stuff by uh, James Pearson Simon Hughes uh, right we've opened the red agenda inbox there's a few questions here some of them tough um, just jump in let's try, answer them as quickly <laughs> as possible so Daniel Gee is a, a football law expert I sent this one and he says, with uh, with Buvac named as the new sporting director of Dinamo Moscow, can you actually tell us now what went wrong with him and Jurgen Klopp? Well, I mean, it's, it's been reported quite widely. You know, the, I don't think there's any sort of hidden story with this, really. I just think that over quite a, a reasonable period of time, his sort of influence at Melwood waned. Um, you know, he was always, I think it, the problem for Buvac was he was always sort of a subtle sort of operator, wasn't he? He wasn't like sort of particularly demonstrative on the pitch. So it took a bit of time to realise he he was becoming more removed from, you know, the conversations about what was happening. And I think he felt a little bit, it seems, put out by the rise of Pep Linders and how aggressive he is with players. And I think gradually it was just a a, a realisation that he, 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 A, wasn't enjoying it quite as much and B, Mm. had become less influential on what was going on. And you know, I don't think there was a massive blowout between the two, no. but he'd obviously had heated debate about his position within the team and it was decided quite sensibly between them to, to part ways. It's the timing of it when that happens, I think. You know, it's just before the the second leg of the Champions League semi-final in Rome when, when that becomes all Yeah, apparent. the timing and was very strange, wasn't he, it? Yeah, and he'd been, obviously, the, I think Liverpool, uh, he'd been played, I think he was on sort of a garden leave process for quite a period of time. So I just think, you know, Klopp, Klopp ultimately is very, he's ruthless as well, isn't he? You know, I think he's obviously been friends with Buvac for a long period of time, but I think he, he thought this could potentially, right. you know, could, could potentially yeah. cause I think he, I think he felt really. that his commitment, his commitment wasn't, wasn't what it, what it was. And, um, yeah, and felt that, you know, it, very much of the way that Klopp is like, like it with players, isn't it? You know, if, if unless you're like a hundred percent into this, unless, Unless you're you're fully on board, then you know you need to ask yourself whether you whether you definitely want to be here. I, I, hopefully, I you know, you know having Bovac having having gone to ground for so long, I hope I hope you know to to follow up on that question. I hope he comes out and and actually explains things himself. It would be fascinating to to hear from him mm. because um, you know I think it is one of those things that a lot of people would like to know more of. Same as what Sai said. I've, Speaking to play, players I've spoken to weren't aware of any kind of like dramatic falling out or bust up or anything like that behind the scenes. It was almost like a gradual process where he became a lot more distant and a lot less involved. And, you know, hopefully one day he'll tell us why why that was. Natural parting of ways, but very interesting. Uh, Patrick and Jane both ask about Jeannie's contract, but hopefully Simon's answered that. But you can read plenty more on The Athletic, uh, Dan says he's looking a long way ahead. How likely is it that Salah will agree to play in the 2020 Olympics? That's <laughs> me. I don't even think that's on the agenda. Have you two well, boys researched yeah, it or I not? Mean, it has, you know, it has been... I mean, the, the Egyptian Olympic coach has said that he 
he's keen for Salah to to take part in the competition. I think Klopp was actually asked about it last week and gave a very diplomatic answer. Um, but I think it's fair to say behind the scenes, he will be um, making it abundantly clear to Mo Salah that uh, he doesn't think it would mm. be the, the best idea in the world for him to go and represent Egypt at the Olympics. Um, I think it's always awkward for players when you know, the, the, the countries come calling and especially with someone like Salah who, who fills that, that duty. But I just think it's a bit of a nonsense, that kind of thing. The Olympics isn't for mm. him, for people like Mo Salah. I think. Probably not on his agenda. He, he, he's got a very difficult relationship with the Egyptian FA as well. And I think people at the Egyptian FA are under pressure to ensure that they're looking to do the best thing for the country at this moment in time. I would be surprised if it was high among Salah's um, priorities to go and play for Egypt in in, in that competition. Um but people sometimes have got to be seen to be saying the right things and whether that maps out that way, I'm not sure. I'd be surprised if he played in it. Yeah. Right. Uh, Jatine says, um, when will we get a definitive answer about a potential Liverpool title parade? Uh, myself, like many others, travelling from different parts of the world, so I'd like to book as soon as possible. And I, I think the possible answer to this is... Until Liverpool know whether they're in or out of the Champions League, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, think... they've got a variety of different plans in place, haven't yeah. they? I don't, I don't think there'll be a definitive answer for quite a while yet. Because oh. I, I spoke to someone at the club the other week who said that discussions were underway. Um, but because obviously these things have to be sorted out so far in advance with discussions with the council about road closures and the rest of it. But they said it was very much up in the air what they would do dependent on what happened with the Champions League. Because... There seemed to be an ease, like a kind of uneasy, the idea of having a parade mm. if Liverpool were all. But like essentially, Monday the eighteenth of May would be the obvious day for the Premier League parade because that's the day after Liverpool play their final game in Newcastle. But would Klopp want a victory parade, essentially, what you know, less than a fortnight before a Champions League final? Um, so that was what they were weighing up. Um, the other thing is that, that I think would make things slightly awkward is. Okay, you could say, right, we can't have a parade until after the Champions League final because you don't want a parade until the season's finished. But so if you don't have a parade till after the Champions League final in Istanbul and then Liverpool lose the Champions League final, to me, to me, that yeah, kind of like kills the out. moment a little bit in yeah. terms of celebrating the Premier League. So I, I hope I hope they they factor in two parades on I, the basis that not one of them might not happen. Well, the other thing is to consider is that they're not going to get the trophy until the Chelsea game. So to have a parade in theory, you'd have to have the trophy as well. Oh know? yeah, well there's no chance of the parade being before that. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And it, so it'd be after the Newcastle it, game. Be the like Monday the 18th of May, I think would be the earliest. Do you think? Could yeah. Be. Well, when's the Chelsea game again? Just remind me. The the week before that, so like the 9th of May or something. Well, yeah, maybe yeah. it could be the day after that, perhaps on the Sunday or Monday. I don't know. Yeah. When's the bank holiday Monday? So this is so the simple answer is no one actually yeah. knows yet, but nothing's too early. Too They're early trying to, to consider say, yeah. at the moment, it seems, because yeah. I had a few conversations the match on Saturday about this, and they, they seem to be trying to weigh up the best, still mm. weigh up the best way. I, I was saying you've got to have two parades. Yeah, if, you, right. if you, you've got to, you've got to let supporters enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, let's finish with this one from uh, from Divin. Uh, it might be more down James's street because we know he frequents Pop World in town. I <laughs> uh, said I ran into John Actenberg and Peter Kravitz on a night out this Saturday. Was Klopp also out? Have you have you got any information on who would you most like to go out with in the in the, in the <laughs> Liverpool team or the coaching staff? Is there, is there one person? I think. Go on, we'll, we'll finish with it. We'll all choose someone. Who do you I, want to go out with? I think with? it would have to be Firmino for a night out. 
for me, no. Yeah, any yeah, any I reasons? He, the, I think he's one of the few that does actually, you know, enjoy a night out. Like enjoy a night yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, I I would. I think James is saying that because he considers himself mm. quite a, a smooth mover on the dance floor, <laughs> and we know that Firmino can do that. I would Simon. actually choose Alison Becker because well, he, he clearly likes a, a beard, doesn't he? After the Champions League final, he was <laughs> right. rocking and rolling everywhere, wasn't he? I'm yeah. I, I'm going for Jurgen. The reason is because he goes down his local, and he probably doesn't go into town, and that's me yeah. all over. He's probably home <laughs> for ten o'clock. Yeah, yeah. absolutely superb. Yeah. Uh, let's hope we see them let's out. Make it uh, boys, thank you very much. That's the Red Agenda for another week. James Pierce, Steve. Simon Hughes, myself, Steve Hothersall. It will return in a week. <laughs>